0: The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom 3 at the Liberty Bowl, each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast with beat reporter Tom Shad and columnist Jeff Calkins. All
1: right, what's up, y'all? Back after another week, another Memphis win, 3-0 for the third consecutive year, I believe. Um, after a 44 to 31 win over Southern Illinois. Um, Jeff, it was an interesting game, I thought, in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, I think Southern Illinois was. They were good. They were they were quite a bit better than I mean just from the and like some of the play like the, the wide receiver number six was like a really good player. I thought the quarterback played like so, relatively receiver, well. Eleven, Maybe it was eleven. There was one receiver that was
0: What, made the one handed grab. Yeah, like that it did, was a, it was awesome. Yeah, I mean they running had, back's pretty good. Quarterback like they they were. They they if you had knew if you knew that was an American if you had if if that had been Tulane let's just say sure. right there sure and you'd and and Tulane had come in and played just like that you'd say damn Tulane's getting better <laughs> like like right. that was a American athletic conference caliber team that they played and you know the number of scholarships are not the number of scholarships so a lot of people focused on the quote-unquote disappointing performance i do think you have to acknowledge a lot of that was southern illinois is not a cupcake though there were still some things
1: i think that's and and i wanted to add i think in in my mind even as good as southern illinois played Mm. i don't think memphis played as well as it could i think it, it was not as clean and and polished and explosive as you would you would expect i guess in the Third week, but did you come away from that? I mean,
0: it's still a win. Did, well, did you come away yeah, yeah, it's still a win. I a a little disappointed. I think. Um, I'm, let me just say for the record that I'm not disappointed in, in Tony Pollard. Um, and uh, uh, running back his fourth kickoff for a touchdown, like that dude is unbelievable.
1: And if we could, just as an aside, and I didn't, I I don't think I, I think I forgot to put this in the morning after either. Tony Pollard did not return kicks at Melrose. Right. No, he so was he, the second string kicker returner and he returned punts. And the guy who returned punts was I think Jonathan Jones or Jonathan Johnson, now Missouri. Right. He returned the kicks at Melrose and now he's returning punts
0: at Mizzou. Yeah.
1: And his return a punt for it. Must touchdown. have been
0: one hell of a, a How kick crazy is that team for a, at Melrose. Yeah. He said back then they just ran. Like it now at Memphis, very clearly coaching goes a lot of coaching goes into that particular return. Oh yeah. They saw Southern Illinois that the wide guy was sort of cutting the corner a little bit. And so they designed it to go outside, like they specifically drew it up. And then you have his explosiveness. And it's, you know, that's all she wrote. He, re, he, re, he returns differently than when he did at Melrose. But the guy is just every single time, A, A, they kicked him as insanity. And then B, every single time the ball in his hands, even if it doesn't go, you're like, this is a game. part of the game I cannot not watch. I mean, I have to watch it.
1: And and Norvell talks at every opportunity about the other 10 guys who are blocking and stuff. And I think there is a lot that goes... Like, it's no accident, and it's not just because of one person that they went 19 years without returning one, and they've now had five... In 12 games, which is absurd when you right. think about
0: that it, that is no accident. But it also takes it a also special, takes that sure. dude who can run that fast with that much power sure. and hit the hole like that, that that dynamic returner is a key part of that. team. That is a
1: key part of it. But I also think, yeah, you, yeah. credit to the blockers and credit to Joe lorick too, for I mean schemes like that people think you know oh you just return left or return right i mean there's a lot that goes into it schematically for designing those, right. those returns
0: the the part of it that in terms of the broader question and we'll talk about injuries here in a minute and i know you have some updates sure. on, on sean rupert and others the part of it that i felt like oh they weren't at their sharpest was offensively i did not think they were at their sharpest and i thought they Cleared some of that up as the game went on. But very clearly, like Riley Ferguson, you know, Anthony Miller literally, the corner fell down. And Riley Ferguson, I thought it was, we were in the press box and we disagreed slightly. I thought you thought Anthony Miller should have caught it. I thought Riley should have thrown a better ball. Um, But they just, like, that was one, like, it's gimme touchdown. And you would hope that in another day they would connect there. So, and there were other examples of that. I didn't think the offense was at its most explosive. What I fear is that defensively it wasn't a matter of them not being sharp or not being focused or not being whatever it is but that it was a matter of them particularly in their diminished condition not being good (laughs) like like that's my fear like i don't know if defensively the the fact that there were four or five drives of practically double figure plays that they were just not able to get off the field. Third and fourth down in particular was, I think, 13 of 24 or something on 13 or, four, or fourth down there were, there or something 10, like that. were
1: 10 of 20 on third down and then four of five or something Right. Fourth, so, something like that.
0: So when they wanted to convert, they converted, did Southern Illinois. And so is that because they weren't sharp and because they weren't zoned in or is that who they are? And the numbers suggest when they're basically giving up. 50% conversion rate on third down for the whole season that it might be who they are and what I fear is and every day is a, every week is an re- overreaction week to what you just saw what I fear is I don't know what this defense could have looked like with Jared Gentry and with Jackson Dillon and with with a complete good health um, now with Sean Rupert I, if everybody had been there the hope had been that it would be a much more dynamic unit that would could dictate and force turnovers and everything else i'm really i am i'll just be honest about it i'm concerned about this team when it plays central florida and i'm concerned about this team when it plays navy and i'm concerned with this team when it plays smu and like will they be able to get off the field was that was that indicative of something that we're going to see for the rest of the season as we head into conference play your thoughts
1: well I think it's a. It's important to say that's a combination of of factors. I think the injuries obviously huge are huge, but I think part of it is that I mean the third down thing like that is going to be and we, we'll talk about UCF here as we go along. But you know UCF they've only played two games. They are number three in the country in terms of third down defense. Memphis is number one hundred and twenty three out of one hundred that's lower. Teams. That is lower they, they are allowing... If you take the field right now against Memphis on Another third the down... The worst third down defenses in the country. You have a better than 50-50 chance of converting right now. That's what the stats say. And
0: I think that tends to start up front. They don't get much pressure on the quarterback. I think it tends to start up front. And And honestly... Um, but but it's not just that. Like there was the fourth down play. Remember the fourth? It was fourth and one. Quarterback sneak. Sure. And on that one, they just blew him right off the ball. The like, quarterback sneak, resulted in seven yards, and it wasn't because some hole opened up. It's because they just pushed him off the damn ball. Put pushed him back for seven yards. So, like, what's going to fix that? What's going to make that better? I mean, let's be honest. You played one game against Louisiana Monroe in a tropical depression, and then you played an FCS school. And then he played UCLA, which is clearly very good offensively. But two out of three, you should have done very well on third and fourth down conversions. And here you are. What's going to make it better against conference foes?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to have a story on this later in the week about third downs and what all goes into it. I mean, the biggest thing is like getting into good third down situations. Like I think a lot of times Memphis has found itself in like third and four, third and five, like very manageable for the opposing offense to convert. Um, and that just goes, you know, you're not getting stops. You're not, you know, if, if a team is able to get four yards on a run or five yards on a right. run on first down, that obviously is going to affect how you are on third down. Um, There's
0: no question that's true. But I also recall some very frustrating third and,
1: 12, yes, third and ten. And that's, like and that's that. what I was going to say. And those things are clicking on those damn things, too. The the pressure, in my mind, I think that it and it depends on the situation, but there were a couple times Saturday night where there was pressure. Like, Jannard Avery was coming off the edge, and he was right there, and they got it off just before. Like, he is a step away. Is he, by the way, away? not
0: having the impact that no. you expected him to have this not year? not at all.
1: Not at all. I think that's, I think that's a big part of the story. Like He
0: was supposed to be in the piece you did early in the season where he's working with Chuck Smith, former NFL player, great pass rusher. Chuck Smith says he's going to be one of the dominant offense wrecking forces in college football this year. And he just hasn't been. I, I think I didn't expect him to come out and have six
1: sacks in three games. I don't think that's realistic. Um, I did think that he would have a sack by now. And obviously, it's not all on on Jannard. No. I mean, it's a lot of everybody else doing their job to create those. Well, situations. And if you have but Jackson
0: Dillon there on the other side, the other then, side. You got,
1: then it changes the dynamic. Sure, yeah. but but I mean, to your point, there are some third and tens where Jannard, and not again to pick on him, but he's like a half step away, and so I think that the defensive front is creating pressure in some instances. And I think you know it's easy to think about this Saturday and forget about. The previous weekend against UCLA, where they created pressure a couple of times that didn't result in sacks. Jonathan Wilson on the final fourth right. down play, Austin Hall that basically single handedly right. forces the pick to TJ
0: Carter. Late in that game, we saw some promise. L- yes. Let's be honest, UCLA moved the ball, scored a bunch of points, whatever. The last eleven minutes, we saw some promise that gave us hope that that man maybe it's coming along. And then this past game, I think, eh, maybe it was a cold splash of water. And it's and it's.
1: Getting close, but close isn't good enough. You know, you only have three sacks in three games. What do you think
0: they think? Like, do you think deep inside, if you talk to, if you talk to Norvell or Chris Ball or whatever, do they think that it's, gosh, we're this close? We just need to execute a little better. Or do you think they think, if you were to just get the truth, Give we truth. don't are... have the personnel to be much better than we are on defense, particularly given the injuries.
1: Well, are you talking about the pass rush now, or about the defense as a whole? As a whole. As a whole, I mean, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're kind of snake bitten in terms of injuries at this point. I mean, Nor- Norvell said at one point, and I, I didn't count exactly, but he said at one point Saturday night they were down eight or nine of their preseason starters on defense.
0: Yeah, the, the or, or or people who have started who became starters who either were preseason starters or who moved into starting roles once the original starter went down. And then the number seems to be, and I haven't counted it, nine of them are gone. Yeah,
1: and and I think that has like. I think as a as a coach, you're not going
0: to go up and say, "Look, injuries are." But like, what do you expect? Us. Yeah, yeah. But, but instead, he talks about development, and guys stepping up, and all that stuff, which is great. Except you just don't expect. There's a difference between. You know, uh, 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 Brian Goodson showing up, who's a brand new player and Jonathan Wilson, who's a second year player and guys who've been here forever. And you can and you can be really excited about those young guys and believe
1: that they're going to get better. But there's a reason that Jared Gentry was starting instead right. of O'Brien Goodson.
0: Like there's a reason that Sean Rupert was back there instead of Tyrese Lindsay. And that's, be- that was another one. He, he's, he was he was like in this basically dismal defensive performance. Saturday it was Sean Rupert who was whacking people in the first quarter in the first quarter got the pick right yep. got the pick and then he's blew up a couple of plays you're like man this is gonna be the Sean Rupert game and the next thing you know he's on crutches and I gather you reported from practice today that it looks like it's gonna be extended period of time Yeah. So Norel said he's
1: m- most likely out. I mean he's not gonna play on Saturday and and the quote was going to be out for probably a pretty significant amount of time <laughs> so that one's tough. Now, the thing is, I mean, Tyrez Lindsey, I have heard nothing but good things about um, ever since he's gotten here. I mean, people have just raved. Like, athletically, people have said he's just insane. Like, to move as well as he does and to be as, uh, you know, like, athletic in terms of, like, going up to get the right. ball. Like, I think he's I mean, he's big. I think he's, he's shown some things in practice. But there's a reason that Sean Rupert was was starting entering the year. So that's tough. The The other thing that I wanted to say too, and I think that this is where it's kind of become this like uh the perfect storm of right. like bad things. Memphis
0: defense has been on the field a ton this year right. and it was on
1: the field a ton
0: last well, first year. Half, too. First half last week, 18 minutes for uh, Southern Illinois, 11 minutes for Memphis. Well, that's not that's not all their fault. Some of it's their fault because they're not getting off the field, but some of them it's because, as Norvell said, they went out and they presented a three and out. Like that doesn't help the defense any when you go and give us do a do a three and out. It is
1: very much a give and take, and it's interesting. This is something that, you know, I first started thinking about when when Fuente was here because one of Fuente's big things was he said we don't want to move so fast on offense that we're putting our defenses at a disadvantage. And Norvell has kind of been we're going to move really fast on offense but we're going to practice like that. Our defense is going to be ready, And and our defense has to be used to tempo too. So his, his kind of perspective on that is just, you know, we're going to move really fast on offense and our defense is going to adapt. The problem is that through three games now they've played 263 snaps on defense, which is crazy. And it's 50 more snaps, 51 actually than the offense. Um, so just in terms of like workload, like when you have all these guys dropping, you have younger guys stepping up to big roles and then you have them playing so much more snaps, than the offense, I think that's that's where it kind of gets tough, and it's tough too for you know if you're on the offense because obviously you want to score fast. It's like you're going to purposefully like slow things down, and just how the offense is constructed is kind of to play fast and to take shots and all that stuff. But it it does create a lot of pressure, I think, especially when you're down a lot of guys on the defensive side.
0: In terms of the offense, um, I was kind of heartened that some guys got involved who hadn't previously been much involved. Pop Williams, yeah. Uh, Got involved. I think Coxy. Re- Coxy got involved. Nine different receivers. My man Joey Magnifico once again the touchdown magnificent pass. Magnificent Magnifico, magnificent Magnifico. So that was I thought promising. <laughs> Some people occasionally you know accuse Riley of just looking at Anthony Miller. Philip Mayhew made a big catch. Um, so I thought that was good. Um, they're obviously going to have to be very good against Central Florida, which went in and beat up Maryland. Now was a Maryland with a down to its third-string quarterback, and that was very early. It was first quarter that they, they'd already lost their starter, and so their backup freshman um, gets injured in the first quarter, and that clearly helps um, UCF play in Maryland, but that's not why UCF was able to run for 250 yards against Maryland. They're, it's a big physical football team, and you wonder if – Honestly, you wonder if it's not unlike the bowl game last year where Memphis just might get smacked right in the mouth.
1: Well, and this is going to all be, you know, people talk about the the quarterback. I'm trying to pull up the stats here. I mean, Maryland on the ground wasn't able to do like they entered as a, as a regarded as a very good rushing team. And they finished with 42 rushing yards on right. 37
0: carries. And on the flip side. On the flip side, I think you had – I do think you had Central Florida two hundred two hundred fifty two hundred fifty 250
1: yards. 250 yards on 39 carries. Yeah.
0: So they just – they they will demolish you is what they do. And if you're not ready for that um, – and it has not been, honestly – I think Memphis has struggled a little bit with that sometimes um, with that kind of physical play, play on both sides of the line. So, um, So you and I split – Back when we called this game the first time around, I think I thought they were going to win and you thought they were going to lose. I think if I was to call it now, having seen what I saw Saturday and again, we overreact to everything. There's eight, eight conference games left and everything's in front of them very clearly. The dream season, all of that is still in front of them. But I don't know. Like, I think if I were to call it again, I would probably suggest that they might go. Five and three or six and two over these over these eight, um, because I could easily see them losing to to central. They won't be picked to to, to you know, to they're three, play, point they're underdogs three point right underdogs right to play Central. so if they do, it'll be an upset. Um, I suspect Navy, you know, you got to see them beat Navy before that you believe they can beat Navy, right? And then, and then there's a bunch of other tricky games, and so, um, I think listen, this has been great. UCLA was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, They survived Louisiana Monroe, and here they are heading into conference season exactly where they wanted to be. But I think, honestly, if you're a Memphis fan, I suspect most are a little more wary of the possibility of a dream season now than they were probably heading into the year. There's been some, and some it's just injuries. Some, literally, I mean, I know they're not going to make the excuse, but we can certainly make the, not an excuse, but an explanation that some of it is just injuries.
1: The one thing that I'll say that does bode well, I think, so so UCF's defensive line is really, really experienced, really good. A couple all-conference guys there. But Memphis's offensive line, I don't think we've, we've talked about them a whole lot been really good and you know it's one thing to hear that you know you've heard this kind of like talk of oh the line's gonna be better this year line's gonna be better this year i mean i think they do look they've allowed
0: three sacks in three games um which and you don't recall them even being under pressure much no it's th- I very different than last year, where it felt like he was running for his life all the time. And
1: and they're deep enough at this point where like, you know, Roger Joseph, who's the right tackle, went Goes down. On. And you just put Harneet Gill in there and you don't really miss a beat. You know, I think they're deep enough now where if a couple guys go down, they can just rotate more guys in. And I think that bodes well. Like, this is definitely gonna be the most uh the the toughest test that that, that unit has faced um, up to this point this season. But I think if you're a Memphis fan, you're a little bit encouraged by what you've seen on the offensive line, knowing that that could very well, um,
0: you know, play. Well, and I think, yeah, game. offensive line is good. Kick return team is unbelievable. Yep. I think Riley Ferguson has proven how good he is once again. Uh, Anthony Miller has proven how good he is once again. And between the emergence of Magnifico, uh, Pop doing what he did, Mayhew, like, I think they could even, you know, they, for various reasons, they haven't put up as many points as they did last year. The first one was in a, again, it was in a torrent. But I think offensively, they're a better team than they were last year. I would agree. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And the other thing I was really pleased with Saturday night was the crowd. Yeah. I thought it was, in the end, you can't build your football program based on, We got UCLA coming, come out and see UCLA, you know, or um, in the end, it has to be organic to watch your team play, no matter who they're playing. There is not a soul who went out there because they wanted to see Southern Illinois, right? And yet there were more than 41,000 in the house. Beautiful night. Absolutely spectacular. I think last week we said if it would be great if they could get over 35 and they cleared 41. So I was very pleased with that. And if they can get by UCF, that sets up even bigger crowds ahead, particularly against Navy.
1: Right. Yeah. So you've got UCF on the road. You've got UConn on the road. Which, which been, should be. Oh, my gosh. UConn. I mean. Terrible. Off, them, them and ECU, I mean, are just right. complete train wrecks right now. And then you've got Navy at home. And then obviously the short week against Houston. And Navy so. would
0: be, Navy will be north of 50 if they're undefeated heading into Navy. Without question, yeah. I think.
1: So it'll be interesting to see uh, how everything plays out this weekend. We will be back next week to break it all down. For Jeff, I'm Tom. Thanks, as always, for listening.
0: The Tiger Football Podcast is hosted by Tom Shad and Jeff Calkins. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.